Welcome to season three of What Really Happened, executive produced by Seven Bucks Productions, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, and Brian Gewertz in association with Cadence 13. It's written and hosted by me, Andrew Jenks, and you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Andrew Jenks. You can also become a contributor to the show by going to jenkspod.com slash contributors. This is a story bigger than just sports. It is a mystery that remains unsolved. It is the tale of why a country will keep secrets to themselves, even if it doesn't seem to be in their best interest. Some of you might be familiar with the former baseball player, David Ortiz. He's a big guy, which is important in this story. About 6'4", around 240 pounds, with a huge smile, he goes by the nickname Big Poppy. Born in the Dominican Republic, David Ortiz played in Major League Baseball from 1997 to 2016. He became a household name while in Boston, winning three World Series championships with the Red Sox. He is a surefire Hall of Famer. Over the course of his career, he made more than $160 million. And as famous as Ortiz is in America, particularly in Boston, he is a hero in his home country of the Dominican Republic. So everyone was stunned when this happened during the summer of 2019. We begin with Red Sox legend David Big Poppy Ortiz, recovering this morning after he was shot in the back this at a nightclub in his native Dominican Republic. This morning, Dominican authorities are calling the plot to shoot beloved baseball star David Ortiz a sophisticated and coordinated hit. Investigators are trying to determine whether Ortiz was the intended target. For this man, somebody to shoot this man in the back. You're talking about a guy, Max, that is philanthropic, very charitable with his time, his energy, his efforts, particularly to those in the Dominican Republic. I've continued to wonder why was a star like Big Poppy in, what turns out, the crosshairs of a gang? How is it possible that people still don't know if he really was the target? What really happened? June 9th, 2019. David Ortiz walks into the Dial Bar and Lounge in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. Dial Bar is a spot for government officials, celebrities, pro athletes, and other elites to be seen. Big Poppy is dressed in white pants and hanging out with some friends, including a well-known TV host and a reggaeton artist. Surveillance cameras capture a man approaching Ortiz from behind. This man takes out a gun and fires one shot. The bullet hits Ortiz in the back at close range and chaos ensues. One of the men involved in the shooting, but not the shooter, tries to flee. He jumps on his motorcycle and starts to drive away, but before he gets far, a mob of people swarm him. They drag him off the bike and start to pummel him until police arrive and he is arrested. That's the power and fame Ortiz has in the Dominican. You mess with him, you mess with everyone. I spoke with two well-known reporters who traveled to the Dominican Republic to write comprehensive stories on what happened. The love for David Ortiz is immense. This is Danny Gold, who wrote 
The Broken Case of David Ortiz for Sports Illustrated. You know, this is a guy who, it's like Michael Jordan getting shot in Chicago. If Michael Jordan spent most of his time doing fundraisers for children's hospitals, you know, and pediatric surgery wings, and just donating everything he could to everyone around there. Everyone loved David Ortiz. You know, you meet random people who were like, yeah, you know, he bought equipment for my cousin's baseball team. Like, he doesn't even know them. Or my friend's daughter got a surgery that she needed because of David. Like, this guy was like a national hero in a level that I don't think we see too much with sports figures, not just because he was good at the game and people loved him, but because he did so much good for people there. By the time Ortiz arrived at an upscale clinic, his situation was growing more dire. He was losing blood fast and was in critical condition. Beyond that, the scene at the clinic was a circus. Word of the incident had spread quickly. Crowds had started to gather. Inside, the waiting room was filled with Ortiz's entourage. A woman who reportedly had an affair with Ortiz came in crying. And then there was Ortiz lying on a gurney, bleeding while police were taking his statement. As one of the top doctors in the country, Dr. Jose Abel Gonzalez assessed the injury, he found that the bullet had done severe damage to many of Ortiz's organs. Dr. Gonzalez and his team removed Ortiz's gallbladder, a segment of his liver and large intestine, and repaired his small intestine. Finally, after four and a half hours of surgery, Ortiz's condition stabilized. The next day, Ortiz left the country, flying in an air ambulance provided by the Boston Red Sox. At the Massachusetts General Hospital, he got further treatment. On June 11th, Ortiz's wife, Tiffany, announced he underwent another surgery and was in the ICU. Back in the Dominican, authorities began trying to piece together the events of the night. Eddie Feliz Garcia, the man attacked by the mob immediately after the shooting, was arrested. As it turns out, he had been driving the motorcycle, which the shooter was a passenger on. After Garcia arrived in court, the investigation expanded. Authorities identified six more people to their list of suspects, including the shooter, 25-year-old Rolfi Ferreria Cruz. There was no lone gunman here. This was a hit team. And the list of people involved kept growing. Nine people, 11 people. Cruz, the shooter, originally told police he didn't mean to shoot Ortiz, but somebody else. Investigators publicly scoffed at this. Clearly, Cruz knew he'd be a dead man in prison if fellow inmates knew he had attempted to kill the great David Ortiz. But eight days later, on June 17th, the authorities pulled a 180. The Attorney General of the Dominican Republic announced that the shooting was a case of mistaken identity, with the intended target being a man by the name of Sixto David Fernandez. Sixto David Fernandez is a friend of Ortiz, and was sitting next to Ortiz the night of the shooting. According to government investigators, the reason Fernandez was targeted, he had ratted out a narco. That narco was upset and ordered the hit on Fernandez. That leaves the obvious question. Why did the trigger man shoot Ortiz? According to authorities, 
One man on the hit team arrived to the bar early to vet the location and get a photo of the target. When Sixto David Fernandez arrived, this man on the hit team snapped a blurry photo of Sixto on his phone. But here's the thing. If you look at the photo a certain way, it seems as if Sixto was wearing white pants, when he was in fact wearing black pants. Who was wearing white pants? David Ortiz. So this man on the hit team sent this picture to an inmate at a local prison, who then sent it to another suspect involved, who then showed the picture to the other suspects, including one man known as the Surgeon and other cohorts with names like The Bone and Carlos Nike. The hit team arrived at the bar soon after and seeing Ortiz's white pants shot him. At least that's what authorities have told us what happened. And if we were to believe this is what happened, the next question is, who was it that ordered these guys to kill Fernandez, and why? Who was the narco that believed Fernandez had ratted to police? Time to meet Victor Hugo Gomez Vasquez. He was the one that the police say actually initiated this whole thing. Here again is Danny Gold. And Victor is a drug trafficker. He's aligned, I believe, with the Gulf Cartel. He was wanted in the States in an operation called Operation Wrecking Ball, involving dozens of people trafficking you know, large amounts of, of drugs from Mexico into the U.S. The official police story is that Victor, who is actually Sixto's cousin, had hired a man to assemble a team to carry out this attack. Victor believed that his cousin Sixto had betrayed him, telling the police about his drug trafficking. It seems pretty simple, right? A team is hired to take out a guy for narking to the police. But there are problems with this story. Certain things just don't add up. First, there is this idea that it was a case of mistaken identity. Remember, David Ortiz is about 6'4", 240 pounds. So it led most to initially think that Fernandez must look similar to Ortiz. Well, said Danny Gold. If you see David and Sixto next to each other, David is large, he's dark-skinned, he looks nothing like Sixto. Sixto is a light-skinned guy, far smaller than David Ortiz. So that's one issue. Unless the shooter was only looking for anyone with white pants, is it possible he really thought David was Sixto? Another issue, the reason Victor wanted to shoot Sixto is not totally believable. Reportedly, Victor was blaming Sixto for narking to the police for something that happened in 2011. 2011. Why would you suddenly seek out retribution for something that happened eight years prior? So reporters, seeing that some things just don't add up, that the case isn't so clear-cut, are trying to figure out what happened. There were whispers that perhaps the target was in fact Ortiz. And if that's the case, Reporters and the general public are wondering why would someone want Ortiz taken out? What is clear is that the hit team had ties to organized crime. Was Ortiz somehow, somehow involved with the narcos? Well, the journalists who attempted to find out were running into a roadblock for a simple reason. It was interesting because what I found was that in a way like talking about Ortiz and talking about for people to talk about how they felt, or it's used, especially to a foreign reporter, 
is, you know, was kind of like them talking about their own country. Daniel Castro spent about two weeks in the Dominican Republic writing an article for the Bleacher Report called It Was a Confusion, the shooting of David Ortiz. It was like them talking about the DR. and He's such a sacred figure that to say something negative or to question this sort of perfect reputation that Ortiz has there, it would be like questioning your patriotism almost. It's a very proud country and, and he is a national symbol. So I, I think his brand there is is kind of synonymous with the country because he's one of the, the most famous, if not the most famous representative at this point. Additionally, if anyone did believe the Narcos were involved and spoke on the record, then they may end up having to deal with some not-so-pleasant people. Some people, you know, were very protective of Ortiz's reputation, and other people were very wary of getting involved in any way with the people who might have been behind the attack at that time. And I have friends on the island who just would not see me. Because they were like, you know, I have kids. I'm not going to come to Santo Domingo and be seen with you just just out of caution. It's a small island. And um, so at the beginning, when I first got there, my first few days, I was sort of like, what did I get myself into? Because uh, no, really, no, no one wanted to talk to me. So reporters are having a tough time getting more facts, mainly because nobody will talk. But it won't stop Daniel Castro, Danny Gold, and other journalists from at least trying to get to the bottom of things. Both Daniel and Danny did a remarkable job of finding people who would talk on the record. Daniel Castro even spoke to Fabian Mello, the former head of anti-narcotics at the Santo Domingo DA's office. Fabian Mello thought that if someone wanted to do something to Sixto Fernandez, it would have been super easy just to go over to his body shopper. Here, Castro talks about how, had the hit team wanted to kill Sixto Fernandez, they could have likely made life easier on themselves. He owned a body shop or an auto detailing shop, and he was very much like easy to find. He was in his shop all the time. He, he, it wasn't like he was living in a really ritzy area of Santo Domingo. So it was just really strange to Fabian Mello that an assassination attempt of this magnitude with this many people involved, I think it ended up being, you know, 14 people in jail, would target this regular guy at this nightclub on a Sunday night in a very public way, surrounded by all these people. It was just very strange to him, and that, that's why I think he had trouble um, buying that version, just like, just like a, a lot of other people. So that already makes it hard to believe that the intended target was really Sixto David Fernandez. Then there is another reason. The security footage from the bar that night, said Danny Gold. This other guy involved with the hit squad, this guy known as Mota, is sitting there in the bar. And if you watch the video, David gets hit. Everyone else gets up and runs away. Mota is right there, calmly gets up, sips his beer, puts it down. If you're involved with a hit squad that accidentally shoots the most famous person in your country who's beloved by everyone, you'd think there would be a different reaction. Even if you knew a hit was coming, if you shoot the wrong guy, like that's your head on the line right there. So that's one of the things that just doesn't add up to me. So that's two reasons that suggest Sixto David Fernandez was not the man the Narcos wanted dead. But are there any reasons to believe that the intended target was in fact David Ortiz?
So, it can be hard to believe Sixto David Fernandez was really the target. But, is there any reason to believe the intended target was in fact David Ortiz? There are, I think, a few reasons that at least leave that option open. If Ortiz was the target, most familiar with the shooting believe that it means this was not a hit called for by Victor Hugo Gomez Vesquez. Instead, most point their finger to a more powerful, more dangerous drug trafficker, Caesar Emilio Peralta, also known as Caesar the Abuser, said Danny Gold. Caesar Emilio Peralta is this underworld legendary figure that I kept hearing about when I was doing this reporting. And he's what they call in the Dominican Republic a, a capo. You know, that's what they refer to as these top-level drug traffickers. And he's just this guy that that everyone thinks is the top trafficker on the island. He's been arrested a number of times for for drug trafficking, for you know, violence, and he always gets off. So legend has it that he's super well connected to very high-level people in the government. And when David got shot and everyone initially thought that that he was the target, very few people could pull something like this off and get away with it. And Caesar's name just kept coming up as someone that maybe, uh, you know, there was a woman in, in between the two of them. Maybe there was a, a money laundering issue involved. And he's just this guy who's seen to pull a lot of strings and be very violent and vindictive. So maybe there was a woman involved. It's impossible to not do some basic digging around and see that there have been a plethora of rumors, even reports, that this is the case. In fact, the woman that reportedly both Caesar and Ortiz had an affair with showed up at the hospital the night Ortiz was shot. But if it wasn't a love triangle involving Big Poppy and the abuser, could it be a business transaction gone awry? When Daniel Castro, who wrote that groundbreaking article for Bleacher Report, was out in the Dominican Republic, he spoke with someone who otherwise hadn't opened up to the American press. Daniel Poe, he's a security expert in the Dominican, one of the most prominent criminologists on the island, I would say. Poe had information that tied Peralta, a.k.a. Caesar the Abuser, to Big Poppy. Cecilia Mio Peralta and Ortiz lived in the same apartment building, which doesn't mean anything, but Poe said that there were reports that they, that they were actually, you know, fairly close. And that, and that when Cesar Emilio Peralta would come from trips abroad, he would like bring Ortiz's kids presents and, and things like that. This leaves me with all sorts of questions. How did they become friends in the first place? And what was it that drove a wedge between the two? Castro discovered that there was a nightclub called 4040. It's not the Jay-Z nightclub, but a club Big Poppy opened in the DR. Although the club had prices meant for the rich and famous, it was not in an upscale neighborhood, quite the opposite. So Castro went looking for people who knew of this nightclub, which, under Big Poppy's ownership, closed several years ago. Castro met Fabian Mello. Fabian Mello is a former prosecutor in Santo Domingo, and he was in charge of the anti-narcotics division. Castro learned quite a bit from Mello including the fact that you need a certain type of approval to run a club in the area Ortiz had picked. It's difficult to imagine Ortiz opening something like this in this area and not having some sort of contact with criminal groups that have other nightclubs, whether it's because his club is basically in competition with theirs or because like, hey, you know, just some even minimal contact. 
it, it just it, it was really hard for Fabian Melo to imagine that there was you know zero kind of contact with these groups for that reason. And it wasn't just Melo. Castro also met a man who went by Mateo. Mateo was familiar with the country's cocaine trade and spent three years in prison on drug charges, although Mateo said it was a misunderstanding. Mateo had actually, he knew this area, he knew the dynamics of it really well. He had partied at the club and he told me that he remembers vividly being at the club and the club was full of narcos, full of drug traffickers who had control or really powerful in the area. And it was kind of a place for them to show their power. To be clear, one can only speculate. These are not hard facts that create a direct line suggesting Ortiz somehow owed Caesar the abuser or other narcos. But it's hard to see how Ortiz could attend, much less own a nightclub that was frequented by narcos without having to be in some kind of business with them. Daniel Castro emphasized this point. I don't think anybody really thinks that he was that he was involved in some kind of criminal activity. I think it's more just about like who he was hanging out with and, and the network that he was in. And, and I think one of Poe's points was that once you start associating with people in this world, any kind of false move or any kind of action or, or public, it, it just becomes really easy to uh, interpret something about a certain gesture or, or who you're talking to at a club that maybe isn't there, you know? And, and that's why I think his opinion was that there's so many possible causes for how this could have happened, that it could have been anything, just, just from the fact of you uh, associating with these people. To better understand this story, it's important to take a step back and look at context. Like many parts of the world, in the Dominican Republic, there is a massive trust issue that citizens and journalists have with authorities, said Danny Gold. The situation in the Dominican Republic is there's a lot of corruption and people do not trust the police, especially in a lot of these neighborhoods that are a bit rougher, that have you know petty street crime. They're used to the police taking extrajudicial action, perhaps being violent, being corrupt, and they're used to the government being like that too. So there isn't a high level of trust in law enforcement there. They don't trust the government. They don't trust any story that's going to come out. This distrust in government goes back generations. And with this case, there is a specific reason that makes it even easier to be skeptical about what the government says happened. Authorities particularly wanted to put this case away as soon as possible for one simple reason. Tourism. So leading up to this, there were these tourist deaths in different resorts around the island, uh, sort of mysterious. I mean, that's that's where a lot of the big tourist business comes from, are these kind of big all-inclusive resorts on the coast. It still, you know, hasn't been just a, a really straightforward reason or ha- explanation hasn't really emerged. But some people said, you know, it was this hotel, the liquor bottles that they drank in the minibar or or, or whatever, just a combination of reasons. Also, a woman was savagely beaten, uh, an American woman, we're talking about American tourists here, beaten at a resort. So there, there were these incidents that, that had happened, and it was, it was a really tough time for the country's uh, tourism industry. I mean, I, I think it's like 8% of the GDP employs about 300,000 people. It's something like more than 60% of these tourists that come to the island are are Americans. The health of the tourism industry is tied into kind of the stability of the ruling government. So it's a really serious issue. In fact, I mean, in July and August of this past summer, after the Ortiz shooting, I'm not saying that Ortiz shooting was responsible for this, but 
flights from the U.S. to the Dominican Republic were down by 74%. I mean, that's a huge blow that affects the livelihoods of, of people, not just in the tourism industry, but everyone who makes their livelihood around it. So, I mean, the stakes for the country's image at this point after the Ortiz shooting were really high. And I, I think some of the tourism, I talked to a tourism researcher and who studies the Dominican Republic, and I mean, it was pretty, it was like this definitely further affected the, the country's image in a, in a negative way. So, I mean, the, 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 it was a crisis and the government was, was basically doing damage control at this point when the Ortiz shooting happened. A quick side note, but as it turns out, this image that the DR is particularly violent isn't exactly based on facts. Danny Gold brought this to my attention. Obviously, the DR has problems with drug trafficking, petty crime, street crime, things like that. But its murder rate is lower than a lot of places in the U.S. It's also lower than Uruguay and a you know vacation hotspot like Costa Rica. So while the DR does have some very rough neighborhoods, drug crime, things of that nature, it actually isn't this you know all-encompassing violent place. Regardless, the point for our intentions here is that there was going to be a distrust in whatever narrative the government gave for the shooting. And in my opinion, there was one avenue the government could take to hopefully alleviate any concern from tourists. Say that the shooter was attempting to kill a man for retribution, a man who had done the narcos wrong, and tell the world nobody was actually trying to shoot the most beloved man in the country. Not only that, but tell the world you got all of the people responsible behind bars. If any government is looking to protect their image, it'd be naive to think they wouldn't at least consider this approach. The good old cover-up. Daniel Castro spoke about this with one of his sources, former prosecutor Fabian Mello. When I asked him if he really thought that the prosecutor's office was capable of this kind of cover-up, he was very uh, direct and he said, yeah, absolutely, especially because of what was happening with the country's tourism industry and the country's image, that he thought they were definitely capable of kind of manipulating the investigation to not further harm Ortiz or the Dominican Republic's image. David Ortiz was released from the hospital after seven weeks of recovery, rehab, and more surgeries. On September 9th, 2019, almost three months after he was shot, Ortiz returned to Fenway Park to throw out the first pitch. With Kanye West's Jesus Walks playing in the background, Big Poppy received a standing ovation. Won't you please welcome the symbol of resilience, strength, triumph, and love, our one and only Big Poppy, Red Sox Hall of Famer number 34, David Ortiz. Ortiz also hired his own private investigators to look into the shooting and who was behind it. These private investigators concluded what police investigators found, that it was a case of mistaken identity. Danny Gold, who wrote that Sports Illustrated article, said he has gone back and forth on what to really believe. 
But he remains confused about one thing. If Ortiz really believes it was a case of mistaken identity, then why is he doing the following? David has done some interviews since the shooting, and he is still nervous. It seems like there's a part of him that does think that he was targeted or that somebody wanted to kill him. So apparently, you know, he's really rescinded back from, from public life. He was known in the DR as a guy who went all over. You know, he was in bad neighborhoods. He was at the bars where the narcos hang out, where the reggaeton artists hang out, places that a lot of rich folks and a lot of other baseball players wouldn't go because he was just this guy that was so loved that he thought he was good wherever he went, didn't have security, nothing like that. And now it seems like he's going to be a lot more cautious moving forward. So make of that what you will. No one there really expects it to ever be solved. It seems clear that if anything, the mystery remains. In fact, Danny noticed several popular memes in the Dominican Republic mocking the idea that the truth will ever be revealed. Some of the memes going around, there was one with an astronaut in space, you know, like walking uh, out in space with like the little tube attached to him where it was like, this is another one of the suspects in the David Ortiz uh, in the David Ortiz shooting. Another was, you're not a real Dominican unless you've been arrested in the investigation of David Ortiz's shooting. Another had a genie show up and there was a Dominican guy asking him, you know, for all these wishes. And the genie's like, you know, I can't do that. That's one thing I can't do. And his third wish is like, okay, tell me what really happened with the David Ortiz shooting. And the genie goes, okay, about those other wishes that you had. For now, we don't know what really happened. The government seems to have everyone in custody, including the ringleader, Victor Hugo Gomez Vasquez. In fact, on Monday, December 2nd, Caesar the Abuser was also arrested in Colombia. There was no mention of Big Poppy. Caesar was reportedly arrested on a warrant, charging him with cocaine and heroin distribution. As for David Ortiz, I think it's important, with all of the rumors and reports, to not judge him. Here is Danny Gold with the last word. Even the people who believed that David was the target still don't think any less of him. You know, they still look at him as this guy who has done so much good that even if something went wrong with with any of these other issues, it, it doesn't, you know, negate the positive things he's done for the country in their eyes. And there are some folks who who also say, you know, even if David wasn't the target, he was still out there hanging out with narcos, hanging out at these like really shady nightclub spots. But the thing is that David came from those neighborhoods. You know, these were the people he grew up around. These were the only other people who made it out and, and got money like he did. So I really don't think you can you can blame him for who he chose to associate with or the kind of spots that he went to at night. Uh, so I don't want this to come off as a thing where, you know, people are looking down at David Ortiz. This is a guy who really dedicated himself to doing as much good as he could. Next week on What Really Happened, Anna Sororkin, a German heiress, was in her early 20s. She was living in trendy New York City hotels and traveling around in the Big Apple's elite social circles. But in reality, she was a fraudster. And when Anna went to court and then prison, we were all left wondering, what really happened? If you like the podcast, I'd humbly ask you to subscribe, rate, and review. It actually can make a big difference. For any other feedback, you can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, at Andrew Jenks, or go to jenkspod.com for more information on the sources for this podcast.